warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. Episode 6 of the Real Britannia podcast with Scott and Tony, a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. Good morning. Good morning. We're in Studio B at the Balaban Sound Studio. The, the Balaban <laughs> Lounge. It is. It's the drawing room. Yeah. Yeah, we've moved downstairs. It's, um, I don't use this room very often. Um, it reminds me of, do you remember Sorry with Ronnie Corbett? Yes, and the mother. And the mother, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the whole of Sorry, the sitcom, was sort of set in their kitchen, pretty much. And there was one episode where they go into their front room. Um, and the, I think like, the mother called it the drawing room because she was so pretentious and things like that. And, and he walks in, like Ronnie Corbett walks in, and he goes, oh, my God, we haven't been in here since the lying in state of the budgie. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it reminds me of every time I come into my front room. Really, cause it's, uh, it's a little the, warmer as well. It, we're here because it's warmer. It was very cold upstairs last time, a little bit cramped. Nickels like wheel nuts. <laughs> Fight a pilot's thumbs, mm. yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but also we've got the big, big TV on, and we've got tonight's movie playing in the background just to give us a little bit of bit of a prompt and a bit of the atmosphere of, of what we're going to be reviewing. What are we reviewing tonight, sir? Because it was my choice, but hopefully you remember to watch it. Yes, it is A Night to Remember, um, which is about the Titanic sinking. It is. the f- Well, not necessarily the first telling of the story, but... There is loads. Yeah. I looked into this yesterday. There is so <laughs> many. And I think, from the ones I have watched, this is by far the best. I'm glad you said that. It is the best. I'm so glad you said it's that. It's so well done, especially for the year. It's such a well-crafted film. Well, what we'll do, we'll play a little bit of audio that I've recorded, mm-hmm. giving a bit of background to the story, and Roy Ward-Baker, who's the director. Today's movie, A Night to Remember, undoubtedly the most famous cinematic account of the sinking of the Titanic pre-James Cameron. The film was released in 1958 and was based on a book written three years earlier by Walter Lord, who chose his subject matter as he had had a lifelong obsession with the story. At the time of writing, there was no mass interest in the Titanic, and Lord was the first writer in 40 years to attempt a grand-scale history of the disaster. He combined written journals and first-hand accounts from actual survivors to create what is still considered by many the definitive account. If you take the passion of Walter Lord and his source material and combine it with that of the film's producer William McQuitty, along with screenwriter Eric Ambler, it's easy to see how such an impressive and effective movie was created. Because McQuitty actually witnessed the Titanic as she set out from Belfast as a six-year-old boy 
and Eric Ambler had watched her being launched in London soon after. The film's producers also contacted survivors of the disaster, including 4th Officer Joseph Boxall and passengers Edith Russell and Lawrence Beasley, with Boxley and Russell being portrayed in the movie itself. Charles Lightoller, the officer portrayed superbly by Kenneth Moore, had passed away by this time, but his widow was also consulted and praised Moore for his portrayal of her husband and the historical accuracy of the film. Similarities to Cameron's movie in certain scenes are obvious, but of course this was bound to happen due to the fact that real-life accounts were used for both films. And although the film is now 60 years old, and the budget considerably less than that of the 1997 movie, you are left with a film that is incredibly accurate, based on the information available at the time. You also get a fantastic depiction of the immense class divide and social attitudes. As Kenneth Moore says in the movie, there are a great deal of what-ifs. One thing is certain, that the night to remember still stands as the definitive cinematic telling of that tragic night in April 1912. Roy Wall Baker, director of A Night to Remember. One of the undisputed greats of British cinema, Baker started in the industry in the sound department at Gainsborough Studios. In the late 1930s, he graduated to assistant director on the Will Hay comedy classic Oh Mr. Porter and Alfred Hitchcock's The Lady Vanishes. During the war years, Baker worked in the Armour Kinematograph film unit under the guidance of Eric Ambler, and he directed his first feature film, the classic thriller The October Man, in 1947. In 1950, his tight submarine drama, Morning Departure, which featured Kenneth Moore in a supporting role, was a critical and commercial success, and led to his decampment to Hollywood. He directed a handful of films at 20th Century Fox, including the Marilyn Monroe drama, Don't Bother to Knock. Indeed, Kenneth Moore, having appeared in the Fox film No Highway, was kept on the payroll and tested as a Regency rake for Baker's Barclay Square. I did the test at Denham, Moore wrote. Kenneth Moore in silk, satin and frills peering through one of those things that looked like a bottle opener and saying, Gad sir, I'll see you at the club, was a sight to behold. Afterwards I decided, I've done this rather well. Roy seemed to agree with me. Moore didn't get the part, but Baker remembered. He returned to Britain to make the Donald Sindon classic Tiger in the Smoke and his signature work at night to remember. Baker's film of the Titanic remains the definitive account of the tragedy, and for more, his director was a perfectionist who knows what he wants and has a reputation for getting it. His passion is absolute realism, he said. Therefore, he was in his element with the Titanic. Baker directed several episodes of The Human Jungle and Gideon's Way for television and spent much of the 60s and 70s directing episodes of The Avengers, The Persuaders, The Saint, Brandon Hopkirk Deceased and Jason King. On film, he'd become one of the mainstays for Hammer, directing the masterly Quatermass and the Pit and the Betty Davis black comedy The Anniversary. The company gave him everything from sci-fi with Moon Zero Two to gothic horror The Scars of Dracula. While rival purveyors of Chills Amicus assigned him the portmanteau films Asylum and The Vault of Horror. His later works included the enjoyable horror The Monster Club, the Peter Cushing Sherlock Holmes TV movie The Master Death and several episodes of Minder. His autobiography The Director's Cut was published in 2000. 
Baker happily spent his dotage discussing the films and television shows he directed. His last filmed interview saw him remembering his work on Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde for the episode of A History of Horror with Mark Gatiss, devoted to Hammer Films. Broadcast a week after Baker's death, the documentary was presented in tribute to this fine director. The 14th of April, 1912. A night to remember. A night when the largest, most luxurious liner of her day was speeding across the North Atlantic on her maiden voyage. No expense had been spared to make this ship a symbol of man's final victory over nature. Her first-class passengers were the very cream of society. The aristocrats from Europe and millionaires homeward bound to America. In the steerage class, everyone enjoyed their own kind of boisterous fun. Then there were the second-class passengers and the crew. 2,208 happy, confident people speeding across a flat, calm sea in a ship that everyone knew was unsinkable. Absolutely unsinkable. The ship was called the Titanic. What did you see? Iceberg, get ahead, sir! Kenneth Moore, whose warm, compelling sincerity holds him high in the hearts of cinema-goers all over the world as Lightoller, the second officer on a ship whose destruction shook the very foundation of man's progress and marked the end of an era. How many people are there on board? 2,200 or more. And room in the boats for... How many? 1,200. This is the epic drama of the greatest disaster in the history of the sea. Goodbye, my dear son. Here, for the first time, is the story of that night. A night when 2,200 men, women and children were faced with a terrible fact. The fact that most of them were going to die. No work of fiction could ever contain such incredible twists of fate or leave such terrible questions unanswered to haunt the mind. Why did that last ice warning never reach the captain? What happened on the ship that stopped within sight of this struggle with death but didn't save a single life? No writer of thrillers could ever achieve such agonizing suspense. Sir! Sir! What the devil's going... Haven't you learned to knock before you come in here? It's a distress call, sir, from the Titanic. She's sinking. Carpathia, sir. She's making 17 knots and should be with us about 3.30. That'll be too late. A 
Right to Remember, released in the UK on the 3rd of July 1958, Tony, starring Kenneth Moore, Ronald Allen, Kenneth Griffiths, there are thousands of stars in this, Honor Blackman's in it, David McCallum, Kenneth Griffith, Anthony Bushell, Lawrence Naismith playing the captain, lots and lots of famous faces which I'm sure we're going to talk about as we go along. Could you give me the synopsis please sir? I can indeed. The singing of the Titanic is presented in a highly realistic fashion in this tense British drama. The disaster is portrayed largely from the perspective of the ocean liner's second officer, Charles Lightoller, Kenneth Moore. Despite numerous warnings about ice, the ship sails on, with Captain Edward John Smith, Lawrence Naismith, keeping it going at a steady clip. When the doomed vessel finally hits an iceberg, the crew and passengers discover that they lack enough lifeboats, and tragedy follows. There you go, it's a very familiar story. Everybody knows the story of the Titanic. Yeah, we don't want to spoil the ending. Don't spoil the ending, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The bloke that asked for more ice with his drink certainly got what he what he wanted. Um, And did in the film, actually. He did. Walking around with chunks of ice. (laughs) If only they knew. If only they knew. To give us a bit of a feel of what was going on in 1958. Number one on the 3rd of July, 1958. We're in full-blown rock and roll era. It was the Everly Brothers. Oh. They were about to hit the chart for seven weeks at number one with All I Have to Do is Dream. Very good song as well. Indeed. Dream. Okay, night to remember. First time watch for you? Yes. Tell us about it. What did you think? Um, it was very good from the start, I think. Very inaccurate from the start as well. Yes. It was never christened, apparently, the Titanic, which is sort of led to a lot of superstitions about why it was doomed, because it was never actually officially christened, so they reckon it was unlucky. See, I heard a story that the bottle didn't smash on ah, the side of the ship. Well, so go. that was the story that I've always... But I've not really looked into the Titanic yeah. enough to sort of tell if it's true or not. I think it was White Star policy not to christen their ships or something that I read. We'll have to look into that. So, yeah, right from the start you thought, this is not a bad little movie. No. <laughs> I, I like the scene on the train. It was just a very, very British altercation, wasn't it, in a, in a train? <laughs> Kenneth Moore on his way to... I think he's on his way to Belfast or somewhere, Belfast, yeah. Yeah, to, to, to join the ship. And he's, he's sort of taking the mickey out of... Uh, there's an advert in a paper, isn't there, about the soap that's being used on the ship. Yes. And then there's a couple that are uh, taking offence to his comments, but then... You should be more um, patriotic. Well, patriotic. It's a fine achievement of uh, British engineering. But then when they find out Kenneth Moore is actually one of the officers on the ship, it's all... <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, misunderstanding, sir. Sorry, sorry, sorry old chap, you know. <laughs> <laughs> No, no offence taken. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in this day and age, you'll probably end up with a punch up on the train and getting kicked off at the next station. So you're familiar with the Titanic story. There's a lot of elements here that are repeated in the James Cameron one because you're going to get it because it's actually taken from accounts from real life survivors. You know, yeah. actually those stories are, are genuine. Um, 
What did you like about the film then? Oh, what, what, what wasn't I like about it? <laughs> it was just so good. It was an intriguing watch. And it's. I've, I've seen the other more popular Titanic film. Yeah. And it just doesn't touch on any of the stuff that this has touched on. It's just about two people. It's, it's more of a chick flick, isn't it? The, yeah, the 97 version. It's crap. You don't really learn anything from it. I don't know. I mean, obviously, there's that element that since they found the wreck, they discovered that it was split in half when it mm. went down, which we don't get in this version. It just it just sinks, it upends and, and goes down. But then no one knew, because I think it was only the mid-80s when they actually found, found the wreck. That. Yeah, they yeah. found that. Yeah. So you get that element towards the end of it, and it's obviously going to be more realistic with you know the advent of CGI and things like that. But saying that, this is really done quite well. It's done this. very well. I mean, there's obviously bottle shots of a boat, and, and the iceberg looks really iffy, I must yeah. say. <laughs> but for 1958, <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> it was very good. Um, but yeah, it, just the whole recreation of first class and steerage, and it was very accurate. You could see the differences between the different parts of the ship. I mean, we've got the, the film playing in the background now, and they're in the boiler room now. And look at that. You know, it's a spectacular set. You know, it's yeah. fully working. You know, they've, they've spent a lot of money on this movie. I dare say they was probably on another ship. Possibly, and actually. And they were filming all the internal stuff on another ship. More than likely, rather than actually recreating it in a studio. Yeah. I think it was something to do with the Cunard line that was um, helping to make this production. Yeah, I think on some of the external bits, there was a liner or something that was due to be scrapped yeah and half of it had been removed so they could only film it from one side but they used part of this liner that was in was in the shipyard you know being taken apart kenneth moore who is the star of the film now you weren't aware of kenneth moore when no. i have you ever seen any films with kenneth moore in it now you? i've seen this then i think i've seen some more you movies must have seen some more some... movies <laughs> yeah i've seen a few movies with him in now and he's done a few comedies that I've watched. That I Genevieve, um, 39 Steps. Yeah. Probably his most famous one. The Admirable Crichton, where they're shipwrecked. He's the butler, and the whole family are shipwrecked on a desert island. That's a really good movie, actually. Kenneth Moore, bit of a bit of a star in the 50s. I think at one point he was Britain's highest paid movie actor, mm. around about this point. And you can see why. He's very good. Very I, I can't... Apart from the small child in bed, I can't fault a single performance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there, there's a child, a, a young boy, who who they wake up to get on deck, but you can tell that he's wide awake anyway. He just yeah, sits bolt upright like this there. zombie sort of thing. That's <laughs> sitting there blinking away. <laughs> Although he's sleeping. Yeah, it doesn't say a word, and thank God he didn't have to, you know. But uh, everybody, I mean, as I say, there are some stars in this. Um, Anna Blackman, Pussy Galore in, in Goldfinger, very early role for her. Lawrence Naismith playing the captain. Just looking through now, when we were sitting here just a second ago, we've spotted Cat Weasels in it, you know, um, David McCallum, everybody is is, is pretty recognisable. And, and this, I mean, we're talking, what is it, 1958? It reminds me that, or sort of gives me the idea that this is the, the blueprint or the precursor to those disaster movies that we got in the 70s, like The Tower yeah. and Inferno or <laughs> Poseidon Adventure, because you get this whole wealth of characters that you're given a little bit of an insight to, and then disaster strikes, and they all have to like get together and, and get out of it, you know. And uh, there you go, the child is... That's quite surprising, actually. Look With at the his gollywog. There is a gollywog, yeah, as well as a Peter Rabbit, but... <laughs> Incredible. That's Absolutely. the scariest Peter Rabbit I've ever seen. 
Connor Blackman looking absolutely gorgeous. See, we could almost, sitting here watching this, we could do a commentary minute by minute if we had to, but I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it. Roy Ball Baker, the director, went on to do a lot of Hammer movies, Hammer horrors. But you're probably more familiar with him. He did a lot of Persuaders and, um, oh, just trying to think. Lots of those sort of like The Avengers, things mm. like that. Also, in, in later life, did loads and loads of episodes of Minder. Oh, okay. He was the director on lots of Minder episodes. Oh, so that's yeah. how we ended up. He's, he's more sort of TV than film, but he's a very famous British director. Every day is a school day. I didn't know that at all. Yeah, and it must be quite difficult when you've only got one location to film. How can you make interesting shots of, of the same corridor or the deck of a ship? Mm. And he does it really well. I think it's how he jumps from around the ship. Like you say, you go from first class, you give it a second class. Yeah. You get the guys in the boiler room. Yeah. You know, that's what I like about this film. You get to see every aspect of the ship. The guys in the lookout post. Yeah, the chefs. The the guy in the in the kitchen, prime example, actually. Very good character, the one that gets blind drunk. Yeah. <laughs> there is an element of, of sort of levity, like a little bit of humour in yeah. this, which I think sort of spoiled it a little bit. Um I think the hiccup in the boat yeah. when they're in the rescue boat, that's a bit Because he's pissed. Yeah. Um, it just sort of like takes away the seriousness of the whole situation. I walked away from this so depressed. Yeah. It really hit home. The, I, I think this hit home for me, the actual extent of how many people died and, and the whole horror of it, more than the 97 James Cameron version. Yeah. Um, they don't want you to watch the other people suffering in that. It's just the two people they're focusing on. Yeah, and and you get the, you know, he's in the water, and, and he obviously he dies, doesn't he? What's his name? Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. But here you get a lot more of the other lifeboats. Yeah. And Individual of, stories from it. Yeah. And, and much more personal. Exactly. And it's like, no, no, we can't go back and rescue the survivors because we're going to get sucked in when the, when the ship goes down. Didn't even think of that. No. And then also they say something about um, the guy that's sort of like steering, the, you know, the officer that's on one of the lifeboats says, we'll go back for survivors in a little while. And one of the passengers quite rightly points out, oh, when they're, when all, they're all dead. dead. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's frightening. It just really brings it home. He, we're watching it now. Yeah. That the, guy there, that butler. Yeah. The when steward. he's holding the child at the end of it. Oh, there's a, there's a scene for those that haven't seen it. That's right. There's a steward on the on board the ship, quite an elderly chap, and there's a baby left behind. Yeah. And there's all the people running past, ignoring yeah. the child, and then the butler comes to his rescue. I'll find your parents. Come yeah, on, let's go we'll find them. And they're the last ones on the ship, pretty much to die, aren't they? Because he's yeah. there, just hugging the child. And at then the end, moments later, the rescue ship <gasps> picks out the child, their baby. Horrible for 1958. It's, I think it was Kenneth Moore who picks him up. Yeah, and then just lowers him back into the water when he realises he's dead. Yeah. Horrible, horrible part of the film. Um, I can't fault anything of this. It's Certain certain parts of it are inaccurate, as I said, you know, the, the, the actual christening of the ship. And the sort of miscommunication between the other vessels in the area, that isn't highlighted in the newer version. No. Um, but I think that is probably very likely. Yeah. I was saying about the whole technology just before we started recording, just mm. how it's all very simplistic, yet very difficult at the same time. It's, yeah. it's not an easy system to use like nowadays where you just... Pick up a phone. Text someone. Yeah. FaceTime yeah. or something. But back then it was 16 levers, flash some lights, yeah. go and say hello to your auntie. 
before you send a message sort of thing. <laughs> Even communicating between decks, they're still blowing down those pipes, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, so Talk, talking into tubes. I thought know? it was such a brilliant <laughs> invention. <laughs> yeah, it's that was brought home to me, the, the catalogue of errors. Um, and Kenneth Moore at the end, you know, there's this bit about what if, and he said, well, we can say what if, what if, you know, the rescue ship came earlier. What if there were enough lifeboats? There were a whole series of things that led to this bloody ship sinking. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it was such a shock because everyone thought it was unsinkable. Yeah. No one was prepared for it. Exactly, the unsinkable Titanic. But again, doing some research into this, that was never stated before, apparently. There is no record of anyone saying it was unsinkable. Yeah. It was all afterwards. It was all like, but it was the unsinkable ship. Obviously wasn't. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was it you that was telling me one of the funnels wasn't real? From what I've heard, one of them was a false funnel and there was no smoke ever come out of it. Was there any reason for that? Just to make it look good? Yeah, just for aesthetics, yes. Really? Yeah. I don't know, again, I don't know how true that is, but it's something I've heard that it was a completely false um, funnel. Incredible. There's a rumour as well, Sean Connery's one of the extras in this. Do you know what? I thought that because I was looking mm. and I was like, looks like a young Sean Connery. Did you spot? Because I couldn't find any. I couldn't find him. If I see him while we're watching him, I'll point him point out. Point him out and we'll see but him. But I, I actually double took and I thought, no, that's not. Yeah. Because there's another actor in this that looks very, very similar to him as well. There's, oh, right. There's a couple of guys in it. I'll sort of question. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that it was one of Sean Connery's early, early roles that he's either in a boiler room or he's a you know, one of the officers in the background yeah. or something. But I, I'm, I'm going to have to have a look. If anyone can find any photographic evidence, send it over to our Facebook page because that would be really interesting to see. Talking of Bond, obviously we said Honor Blackman's in, in this who would go on to be Pussy Galore and Golfing. My favourite bit of trivia that I found out from this, there are four actors in this movie that all went on to play Q in the James Bond films. Okay. Desmond Llewellyn, who famously played Q for over 20 years, mm. he's the guy that stands at the gate between first class and steerage and he has one line and he's like saying no you can't come through here or something he's in it so Desmond Llewellyn you've got Alec McCowan who's one of the officers on the California or one of the other boats who played Q in um, Never Say Never Again right. you know the later yeah. thing where Sean Connery comes back and then there's two other actors Jeffrey Bowden, Cat Weasel Played Q in the Casino Royale spoof. Yeah. 1967, I think it was. And I can't remember the chap's name, but he was the guy that played Q in Doctor No and then turned down the chance of playing him in the sequels because he didn't think it was going to go anywhere. Oh. He's in it as well. How wrong he was. Yeah. Yeah. All four actors will play Q in the Bond movie. There you go. Yeah. And like I said earlier on, there was also some faces I recognised. Can't think of the names. But for... um, (laughs) Carry-ons, early carry-ons. There was a couple of people I noticed on there. Yeah, yeah. It's, because it's a, a, a rank movie, you've got this sort of rank stable of actors, haven't you? So, yeah, like we were talking about last time. Yeah, but, so you're going to see these familiar faces. But I think the, the good thing from my point of view, we, we spoke about we like the old movies because you look at the old streets and the cars yeah, and things like this. But you can't with this because this is a historical sort of piece, isn't it? Yeah. So what I found fascinating with this was seeing some of our favourite actors as youngsters, you know, very early roles for ones that would go on to be, you know, more famous. Yeah, big uh, stars. You know, for other roles. So, five-star movie for you? Yeah, I think so. I'm I'm definitely giving this a five-star. It's a star. very, very good film. I like the fact that it's gone through all the different aspects. Mm. 
Um, it's sort of, I don't really want to compare it to it, so I'm not comparing it at all, but they, they filmed it like they've done the recent Dunkirk. Right. It sort of jumps from character to character. Yeah. And you get to see different points yeah. of view. Sort yeah, of they don't play about with the timeline like they do in Dunkirk. No, no. But, but that's how this is, I think, set out. That's yeah. the sort of thing I can sort of relate it to. Although Kenneth Moore is the star of the film. Yeah. You get to see more of like the captain, for example. That fantastic. I think he was my favourite actor, actually, Lawrence Naismith, who plays the captain. I think his role was absolutely superb. He played it exactly how you imagine he would have done. Although you don't see a, a great deal of him, really. No, but they, I think he's the one that had more impact on me than yes, Kenneth Moore. Yeah. Um, the parts he did play were quite... Um, mm. I think you start off seeing him, he's at dinner or something like that, isn't he? Yeah. He's having dinner... And, and he, he gets, gets the Um And then after that, that's every time you see him after that, it's um, life death decisions. It is, and he's he's making these decisions. That's right, and it's he's and he knows after the guy who um, the guy that built the ship built there, the ship said yeah. to him, "That's it. You've got about an hour. You could just see it in his face, can't you?" Just... Straight away, we've we've only got X amount of lifeboats. Yeah, that rescue ship is not going to be here for four hours. Yeah, it just so everything's against him. So yeah, and it's the women and children first. You know, he makes that decision. It's it's got to be done. You know, there's there's no other way around this. And that was the thing as well, the stupidity of of the first class passengers. That when they're you know they're they're all being woken up and told to get on the deck. Oh, this is absolutely absurd. I need yeah. to take my um. I need to go to the safe, get my jewels, yeah. and and it, well, surely we're we're safer here in the bar. Yeah. Than out on a cold, freezing boat. There's no urgency. No, nothing. No. Until it starts listing and, and, and actually going down. But then that's the only sort of real time there's any panic, is at the point where it's about to go Too under. Late. Too late. Because it is, it's, it's a very good snapshot of, of British social system, British class. Yeah. Of And, and the divide between the first class and the steel. Oh, yeah, yeah. You incredible. see incredible. You see the butlers and that going around that are so lovely and posh and polite mm. to the. Um, yeah. First class, and, and then they go abusing, downstairs. Abusing the Irish yeah. downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> Just absolutely giving it hell for leather with them. And that was the other thing as well, that um, when the Irish passengers in steerage make their way through the first class dining room, they just stop. And, and they s- look. And it's like, oh my God. Yeah, look at this compared to what we get. Yeah. But then again, I think... They look didn't like they, they pay- had a better time. Yeah, didn't they pay something like £16 or something for their passage and it was £800 or something for the first class or something? This yeah, was dividing the, you know, the ridiculous price. amounts of money back then. Yeah, yeah. But it just shows also, like when at the start of the film, you've got, I think, is it a Duke and a Duchess or something like that leaves their stately home? Sir someone and lady, whatever. That's it, yeah. yeah. And they got the school out there showing their appreciation. Yeah, yeah because that, and then, then the butler says... Uh, Oh, it's the kids from the work, work local workhouse. Yeah, once their turkey. Well, their turkey is Christmas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Again, it's, it starts. Yeah, that you can see the class divide because even at the beginning, like when you say Kenneth Moore's on the train, so we see him making his way to the boat. You see that particular sir, whatever his name is, and his wife going off in their motor car. But then you see the Irish family leaving the car. village on a horse and cart, yeah. know, <laughs> making a better life for themselves. Whereas the the richer ones are going for a bit of a jolly up. Yeah. visiting relatives in Philadelphia, whereas these guys are going to start a whole new life for themselves, you know. And the whole of the, the British stiff upper lip throughout it all. Yeah, yeah, even on deck when... And, oh no, we're going to sink, we can't be a day late to, to Philadelphia. Oh, it's, it's really inconvenient. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't get in that boat, you know. I mean, we're going to carry on playing... 
because uh, it helps digestion. <laughs> that was it. Well, obviously, that's the it's famous story that the band continued to play, didn't they? Yeah. But then that's what um, I think is the guy that built the boat actually says that, isn't it? Because it's 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 to, it's to ease the panic. Because as we know, that the music helps ease con- ease digestion. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was. I think that's a bit that sort of really hurt me when yeah. they all stopped playing because I was like, right, you've got to get off now. Every man for the south. The violinist carried yeah. on playing. Then the band are walking off. And they just stop and they're like, there's no point. No point, we're going to die. We're going to die, let's come back and play to the end. Yeah. And they did. And it was, I think it was, famously, I think it was Nearer to My God or Thee or something, isn't it? It's a real, real sort of like apt piece of music they were playing. But yeah, it's it's great. It's, it's not an overlooked film, it is a very famous film. I think Kenneth Moore won Golden Globe for its performance. There were certainly some awards given to this movie. And just seeing here, Norman... Rossiter, is that his name? I think so, another carry-on legend. Right. Also in Hard Day's Night, quite famously in Hard Day's Night, the Beatles movie, he actually appeared in the James Cameron Titanic movie as well. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, he's the only one of the actors that appeared in both films. I think it's Norman Rossiter. And him, the, there's an Italian guy on screen now, arguing with him. He is the Italian wait, um, the Italian chef in 40 Towers that gets pissed. Right, okay. Yeah, he goes on to become... I think it's Carlo or whatever. I can't remember his name. And he falls in love with Manuel. Manuel rejects him. Right. So he gets blindingly drunk. It's the um, the Gourmet Night episode. Yeah. Yeah, it's oh, him. Blimey, That's yeah. him. Famous faces everywhere. I just can't help, when you watch it, but think how cold they would have been. That's the thing. You're talking North Atlantic. Even, you know, on deck, not necessarily in the water. Now, those officers' petticoats, I know how cold they are to wear because I've got one as part of my uniform. Yeah. They are freezing and <laughs> itchy as fuck. They are. They offer no warmth, no protection. They're not waterproof. I'm just sitting there, I was just looking at that sort of stuff. Like, yeah, they're like, we're just looking on screen at like, this, the third class, and they're all in bunks, all like... like, like the glory hole on the door. <laughs> <laughs> Stewards. Oh, it's the stewards, is it? Oh, there we go, yeah. That's the thing, they all thought they were messing around, but they wasn't. Yeah. So they just all stayed in bed. So did they stay in bed right until the very end? You don't know. Yeah. Did they get out? Probably not, because the water would have started rising, yeah. So and they'd have drowned. Yeah. Fantastic film. I'm glad that I went back to this, because I haven't seen it for a long time. And I've got it on Blu-ray. And looking at this now, Tony, look at the quality of that picture. That is a really great transfer. I mean, I watched it on YouTube. What was the quality like there? Brilliant. Really good, yeah. I thought it was on HD. Excellent. It was sort of 1080p quality. It was very, very clear. That's that's good to know. That's good to know. So, would you recommend... I'm sure you're going to recommend this to anybody and everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely watch it. And then you'll have thoughts about the the Cameron one. Yeah, it's... Similar but different. Yeah. Yeah? I think this one's definitely a worthwhile watch. If you just want a chick flick... Yeah, and a bit of romance and a bit of sadness and watch the 97. Yeah, this if you one, want to know and have a bit of feeling towards it. Yeah, and and actually learn something as well. Yeah, there's a lot getting, of emotions from this one. Yeah. Oh, God, as I say, I felt absolutely suicidal when yeah. I started watching this because it was just so... It just hit home, the whole thing, the whole sense of loss, the amount of people and the stupidity of it. It could have been avoided. Um, you know, what if? What if there was enough lifeboats? The thing that got me—they're sending out distress rockets. Yeah, and, and the, the other, the other ship. Oh, they must be signalling to another ship. Signalling to another ship or having a party. That's you know, how lapsed it all was back yeah. then, safety-wise. Yeah. yeah, 
it's so annoying. You know, you you just sell, you, I'll start to get frustrated myself. Like there, there's a ship you, they can see a ship which can get to them in about fifteen minutes. Yeah, and probably would have saved the majority. It would of have people. saved all of them pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the um, signalman goes to bed, turns it all off. No one else knows how to use the equipment. Yeah, they're not really paying attention too much. They put it all in their log. Yeah, so that's right. He said, "Yeah, done. log log that," and then yeah. So what do I think? Do they get in any trouble in actual well, life about it? It, it, it changed, you know, naval sort of practices, maritime practices forever, didn't it? Afterwards, yeah. you know. I think that's the one good thing to come out of this tragedy mm. that every ship now is equipped to with enough lifeboats. With there, there's the ice patrols. They said at the end of the movie, yeah. you know, they said there's now ice patrol so, after. I didn't even know that. No, I didn't know. I know there's a lot of uh, Royal Navy activity out there. Yeah, but I didn't realise it. That's was a, what they a patrol do. Yeah, for uh, ships. And, and thinking this was 1958, so it was only 40 years before that the tragedy actually happened. But the the source material, the Water Lord book, the Night to Remember, was the first real sort of in depth study of the story because it used the survivors to actually you know give their eyewitness accounts. Um, and it's, it's almost, he's sort of regarded as the definitive account of the story because of the people who actually took part in recounting it. We're just watching it now, and the, the captain of the other ship that finally does come to his aid, I think he's a very, very good actor in it as well. You very, can just yeah. see the sorrow. The minute he works out the coordinates and they're four hours away, Yeah, and, and then they get that last message from the Titanic that we're going down, we're losing power, this is the last st- transmission. still got another hour to get there or whatever. He, He's absolutely gutted. He tries everything, doesn't he? Because he says, turn off all the lights, I want every ounce of power going into getting this shit there as quickly as possible. And there is nothing he can do. I think, in fact, he's probably more gutted than the Captain the actual yeah. Titanic. Because he's just nothing he can do. No, no. Just a... And when he gets there, there's no no sign. Yeah, they find one body. Yeah, they said they've been searching for a long time. Yeah. There's no wreckage. No, They must have all been washed away in the yeah. current. yeah. There's the only thing that's there is the iceberg. Frightening. Frightening when you think about it, isn't it? Well, there you go. Nice cheery episode today. <laughs> <laughs> but no misery lane. No misery lane. No, we just got 1,500 deaths instead. Yeah. <laughs> Which we're going to list individually in a second. In a second. Yeah, we'll have a roll call. <laughs> the last post playing in the background. <laughs> Very quickly, Kenneth Moore. Are you keen to watch any more Kenneth Moore films? I am actually, and yeah. I purposely looked online at all some of the oh, stuff he's available. Done. Okay, so we'll do some more Kenneth Moore stuff later. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back with what we're watching next time. Okay, what we're watching next time, um, slight change from the usual selection process, mm. because it would have been your choice, but you pointed out, the way I number the uh, the episodes, the next episode is 007, so we're going to do the full Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Just to celebrate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As you pointed out, it would be a great opportunity to start the... The James Bond retrospective. Yes. So we're going to go right back to Dr. No, uh, which ties in lovely with our sister podcast, Rainbow Valley, because at about the same time we're recording that, we'll be releasing the Rainbow Valley episode on the making of Dr. No. 
so it should tie in very nicely. Hopefully it'll get released about the same time. Big James Bond fan? Yeah, I love James Bond. Seen all of them pretty much? Yep. Lots of times? Yeah. Favourite Bond? Uh, Piers Brosnan. Oh, favourite Bond film? Oh, that's a difficult one. I'd like to say, I think Goldfinger. Although he's not my favourite Bond, but Goldfinger yep. is probably my favourite Excellent. Bond. That's a very good choice. I'm not a fan of Daniel Craig. No, I don't mind Daniel Craig. I watched them, mm. but I'm, I think it's because it's getting a bit silly now. <laughs> is it? I think it's getting a bit silly. You now. think it's becoming more like the Roger Moore era, do you? Then? It's sort of like gadgets and... Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, it's good. I'm an oldie person, and I yeah, I like you, the oldie worldy sort of you, stuff. You like the traditional sixties type. But, stuff. but then again, I say this, but when Doctor No come out, that was probably all far fetched, futuristic then. Yeah, so, it, it hasn't aged particularly well in some people's eyes. Doctor No, because it's very slow when you look at it. There's not a lot going on. Um, but I love the fact that it spawned this fifty year series of films, still going strong. Uh, and Connery's just bloody superb in it. So we're going to start with our Doctor No episode, which will be hopefully just before Christmas. That yeah. will go out by the time we get these episodes recorded. And we'll have a rest. And then after Christmas, it will be your choice. So let's let's have a little look at what we're going to be doing after the New Year. What are you picking for us, mate? It is a 1945 drama romance film. Mm-hmm. And I know you've seen it because you've done it on Stinking Paws. And it is Brief Encounters. Excellent. Celia Celia Johnson, Johnson, Trevor Howard, Stanley Holloway. Wow, you thought they had stiff upper lips on the Titanic, mate. You wait till you haven't seen this. I have haven't you? seen it. No, I've um, created a new selection process. <laughs> What's your new selection process? Well, if I can find a copy of it somewhere to watch and I haven't seen it, I'll pick it. There's oh, well, gonna, there's okay. going to be a few that obviously I have seen that I'm going to throw in. Yeah, you've got some old favourites in there as well, yeah. haven't you? Yeah. But I'm trying to. Shock the viewers because I think they think I'm a comedy person. Okay, yeah. which I am. Majority of my stuff is you do like, like your comedy, my stuff. Old, oldie comedy stuff. But I'm trying to get out of my own comfort zone, so I really have to put a bit more effort into it. Well, you, yeah, because you enjoyed this, didn't you? This this drama. Yeah, it's very good. I'd, Brief Encounter is is a bloody marvelous film. As I, I say, it's the the classic British romance, hmm. and it is very British. You know, if ever our tagline, a very British podcast about very British films, was ever related to a movie, it's this one. <laughs> Honestly. Um, but it's also heartbreakingly sad. Mm. Just watch it. I mean, come and watch it here on the big screen if you want. It's entirely up to you, mate, but I've got a Blu-ray copy of it. So, fine. Looking forward to that. Been a pleasure, as always, sir. Yes, thank you. Much nicer today to record with <laughs> some warmth and a bit of comfort. <laughs> Although the Balaban studio is very well equipped. Yeah, um, we just shifted all the gear downstairs. I think we'll stick to our recording down here. I think this is a bit more a bit more conducive. So you can find all our other episodes on the website, which is realbritannia.libsyn.com. Follow us on Twitter at RV underscore podcast. Emails, comments, feedback, please, to realbritannia at gmail.com. Thanks again, mate. Looking forward to next time. Yes. See you soon. Goodbye, everybody. Um, um, Oh no, I don't need to say Merry Christmas because we're going to do it again before Christmas. Yes. We cut that bit out. Okay. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Bon voyage.
good luck. Thank you. Hand up, sir.